Well, one of the poignant moments when you're a parent is being able to wake up a child. And uh, when they're litter, little, all kinds of things happen, right? When you do that, you know, they wake up and they're having some crazy dream. And, you know, their first words are, don't eat me. You know, and you're thinking, I, I wasn't going to, but uh, let's get you out of this dream and help you to move on. I actually was able to uh, wake up my 20-year-old which is a very unusual opportunity for me um, this past week. Uh, and she, and it was especially uh, precious because she just left on Thursday to go to Boston for school uh, at the um, College of Berkeley there, the music school. And so that's where Jody is. She's taking her. But I, I, I had this sweet moment where it just reminded me of when she was so little, um, and I woke her up. She was sleeping down, had fallen asleep in the living room. I woke her up. And you know how it is. Your, your eyes just suddenly open up like this really wide. And of course, she's not where she normally is. So they start to go around like this, you know. Where am I? Who am I? You know. And then her, you can see in her face, she starts to realize who she is and where she is in the living room of her home, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there's kind of a sense of relief that comes with that. Maybe in, at times when, you know, you've been having a bad dream, there's a sense of relief. If you've been having a good dream, when you realize where you are, you, 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 is a little bit of disappointment, right? Back in the real world. Um, and, and so it was just a sweet moment that I treasured as we were uh, about to say goodbye to her. And it makes me think about how uh, we're experiencing this season and it seems like every Sunday I get up to, to share to, to, to share sermon, and there's a new dramatic thing that has happened in the past week. And it feels a little bit like we keep waking up and wondering where we are, right? We keep waking up to a new sense of, of where are we, and we're looking around, and we're, and we're trying to remember who we are, what is, what is our identity, um, what makes us who we are in the midst of this new and different moment. And this series is going to be an opportunity for us to be reminded of who we are. We're looking at one of the most important moments in, you know, the history of Jesus and the disciples. When he rises up into heaven in the ascension and uh, he gives this incredible commandment to the disciples before he goes. Um, and whatever has changed, whatever is changing, you know, whatever is different, whatever is new for us as individuals and as a community, you know, these powerful words ring true. And they are, they're kind of a true north for us. And so we're going to dig into them over the next weeks and uh, try to understand, to remind ourselves what is our identity, what is our purpose. These are words um, with, that Jesus speaks are words of relationship, of, of truth, of meaning. What is the meaning of life? Even it gets into kind of the core elements of who we are. And so we're entitling this Rebuild Foundations, Four Core Foundations. And what I want to do as we get started, and we're gonna, you're going to hear this text many times over the course of these weeks. I'd like to reread it for you, but I want to reread it with you paying particular attention to one aspect. And this was actually new for me. I hadn't really clued into this on this, on this level. Um, but I would like, like you to listen for this little word, all. 
All and always. It's the same word in Greek, all and always, the way it's used. But four times you're going to hear this word. And that's going to be what we're going to be focusing on over these four weeks. The, the different little alls. So Matthew 28, 16. Um, this is the very end of the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Um, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. And I love this because Galilee was the place where they sort of had their first experience with Jesus. And they learned all about what it meant to be a disciple and, and, and what Jesus was about. And Jesus says to them after, you know, he's, he's risen from the dead. He says, go meet me in Galilee. It's as if to say, we're going to go back to the beginning. All this kind of stuff has happened and it's been wild and it's been crazy. But let's go back to the fundamentals. Let's go back to the basics. In a sense, with our church, I feel like Jesus is saying, let's go back to Galilee. Let's go back to the fundamentals. Let's go back to the basics. So we're going to go with them to Galilee. So uh, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Or another translation would be some hesitated. I think probably in this context, maybe hesitate is a little bit. You have the 11, and then you probably have more disciples. And they're trying to make sense, like we are, of what's happening all around them. And what is, you know, if you can't, if you're confused, you know, you have, a, you hesitate. And they hesitated to jump into the worship. Some got it. The light bulb went off and they worshiped. Others hesitated. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, there's the first one, in heaven and on earth has been given. This is fun. I, you know, the first day of the uh, pandemic, I preached just staring at the camera. And it was like, okay, this is new. Never done this before. And now I've been doing that for so long, I'm not used to having all these people here. So, uh, so feel free to amen or feedback, you know, in any way, say whatever. Let's, uh, let's enjoy presence here. Which we're going to talk about here also. Okay, so where am I in the text? And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted or hesitated. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we've got some alls that are associated amazingly with the core aspects, elements of this church. They've been this way since the very beginning. Ministry to God, which is worship, and Jesus is always with them. Uh, well, let's go through them more. Worshiping in the presence of God, uh, who is always with us. Um, that's, that's worship. Uh, making disciples among all peoples. That's, that's mission. Going out and, and making disciples among all peoples. Learning to live according to all his ways would be discipleship, learning to live according to all his ways, and serving under Christ's all-encompassing authority, which would be service. And so some of you have been through our membership class, some of you are new, and I want to invite you to our next membership class, which we're in the process of forming right now and getting it on the calendar, so I want to invite you to be a part of that when it comes up. But if you've been through our membership or you've, you've seen us bring in new members, we can go to the next slide. Um, you'll recognize um, this slide. I'm sorry it's a little bit small, but, but this is sort of 
of the core four of Solano Church. We, our ministry to God is worship. Our ministry to the world is mission. Our ministry to one another is serving. And our ministry to the self is discipleship. So we're seeing all of this as it is, is woven into the Great Commission. And this is, this is us waking up and remembering who we are. This is what we're about. We're about this when we gather corporately, worship, service, mission, discipleship. We're about this when we gra- ga- uh, gather in our home groups. Um, and I know home groups sometimes feels like it's mostly about discipleship, but we really want it to be about all of these things. For home groups to be a community that's expressing and experiencing all of these four elements of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Worshiping together. Serving one another. Home group is one of the best places where you get to serve one another because your gifts come out in that intimate community and it's really precious and there's opportunities to serve one another. And growing that that's the obvious one that we do in home group. Um, but also worshiping together in, in those times when we pray. Or maybe somebody in your home group has a, has a guitar or can play the piano. And you can actually incorporate worship into your home group. That's, that's the desire. That, 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 and, then, and then on the individual level that we would be people. And this is, this is what Solano's membership process is about. Is, is just working through these different elements of what does it mean to be a person who worships. What does it mean to be a person who serves and who lives on mission and is growing constantly in discipleship. So this is who we are and it's who we're going to be no matter what happens in the world. Uh, all the things that fall apart each and every week, you know, we're learning new things. It's this is who we are. So we're rebuilding, we're waking up to who we are. And that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks and we're going to make available some really clear pathways as we rebuild to step into the opportunity to grow and to serve and to live into the core four, into these, these alls that we're talking about this morning. So uh, that will be unfolding over the next weeks. But today we're going to talk about worship. Uh, I'm excited to do this. The, the passage is framed really with a conception of worship. So in chapter 28, 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Starts The whole process starts off with worship. When they saw Jesus, and it, you know, it doesn't say that Jesus said, worship me. It said that, that their spontaneous response to seeing the risen Jesus Christ was to bow down in worship. It's so beautiful that Jesus came to be with them. He met them in Galilee. And when they saw him, they worshipped. And then he, he's going to go up, but he says this. And this is the other part we want to cue in. So it's, this is the bookend and at the end of verse 20. And behold, Jesus says to them, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we're talking about worship. We're talking about worshipping in the presence of Christ today. And what a fundamentally important aspect worship is to really who we were meant to be as human beings. We are a worshiping community. It's what we do. It's what churches do, right? It's, it's, it's fundamental. So we better have a deep understanding of what it means to worship. 
And I don't know if you have, have uh, been on a journey of understanding worship. I know that I have been over my years of walking with Jesus. And I find worship to be one of those aspects uh, of my discipleship journey where I feel like, you know, I arrive sometimes and I understand what it is. And then suddenly I'll learn something new about it. And it, it sort of just breaks my conception that I was working with. And I see that, no, this is actually a more rich and wonderful topic than I had originally expected. I remember back to some sermons on worship. I remember we were going through the Psalms one time and and there's this little phrase, ascribe to the Lord. And so we talked about worship as it relates to ascribing to the Lord. So if you see something beautiful, something uh, glorious, something unexpected, something awesome, you you can say to yourself, ascribe to the, it's a way to worship, to bring worship into your daily life. Ascribe to the Lord. That he made that. You see a human being made in the image of God. Ascribe to the Lord the wonder of what he has done. And and by that we bring worship. It comes from the Psalms. We bring worship into our daily lives. I remember another sermon on worship. Which was from Revelation 4 and 5. And on this particular week I decided to do something different. I just sat with the text and read it over and over again. Until from memory I could explain uh, every nuance of the heavenly throne room. As it's depicted there in Revelation 4 and 5. And then I just stood up and told it in front of the congregation. And I'll never forget how it was it was like this it was like this wonderful dream to have my head all week long just kind of in in that space of the heavenly throne room thinking about all the details of what it's going to be or what it is like and what it's going to be like to be present or to see that um, in the future and so so that was an important kind of conception of worship for me. Well, today we're going to talk about worship in a, in a different kind of angle because the word in the text is a Greek word, proskuneo, and it really means to bow down. That's what it means. It literally means to fall down, to prostrate um, before somebody. It's, it's not just an idea word, like, you know, worship is an idea word, but it also can be a physical word. And that's what this word is. It has to do with a posture that is taken towards, in this case, Jesus Christ. The disciples bow in worship before Jesus, which is a posture of submission and acknowledgement of of Christ's supremacy. And they were only supposed to do this, right? They're coming from a, a Jewish heritage where they, they, would, they, were, they were trained from, from, you know, as soon as they could begin to think that you only worship God. You only worship one God. And so for these disciples to bow down before Jesus in worship... And for him not to say, don't do that, I'm only a man. But for him to allow them to worship him. This is a powerful moment about the divinity of Christ. And their understanding of who Jesus is. 
So culturally, uh, I think we would all admit that that bowing down is a little bit unfamiliar to us, right? We don't we don't do that very very much. We we had uh, somebody in our house recently from Japan, and uh, he did sort of a, a bow. Uh, he, we we're doing Airbnb in our house, right? And he would every time he would come downstairs, and that was just that was a cultural thing for him. Um, and so you know, in other cultures, bowing like that might be more familiar. But in our culture, we, we really don't we don't bow. We don't we don't. That's not something that we that we do. It's a little unfamiliar. And I would say worship in itself is a little bit unfamiliar to us. The whole concept. I mean, when's the last time you were standing around the water cooler at work when you could, uh, and and they, and somebody said, "Hey, let's talk about worship." Right? Um, it's not something that we we bring up very often. It's not common to our our conversation these days. But just because we don't bow outwardly or we don't talk about worship outwardly doesn't mean, we have to be very careful not to mistake that for the, this, this idea that we're not worshiping. Just because we don't, we don't bow outwardly doesn't mean we, we aren't worshiping inwardly. Part of what it means to be a human being is that we are wired to worship. We're wired to, in a sense to bow before something or someone. One of the things I love about, uh, you've heard me talk about Charles Taylor, uh, this philosopher, um, and he writes on secularism in, in the West, right, which is our, which is our context uh, mainly, um, and he, he really dispels this myth that the modern, sophisticated, secular person has somehow landed upon a worldview that has them living a truly free life, uh, unsubmitted to anything but truth itself, right? I mean, this is this is the narrative that we experience, especially I think living in the Bay Area um, over and over again, which is you know one of the more secular areas of our country. Um, this narrative that we have stripped away all the myths, uh, all the things that we wanted to be true but aren't actually true, and we finally settled on the real, real as he calls it, kind of the the true things. And and over this the course of of probably his most famous book is about 900 pages long he explains now how actually what's happened is there is a replacement set of beliefs that has taken over a set of beliefs that we may have held uh, more commonly, um, Christian beliefs uh, in the past. But that both are systems of belief. Both are systems of belief. So this is important because as people who are Christians in, in a region, in a place, in a time where, you know, secular people look down on, on those people of faith, Right? We need to remember that actually, at the end of the day, we're all people of faith. That even the atheist has taken a faith position in their belief, in their understanding, their worldview. And this is critical because it points to a really fundamental truth about human beings. And, and that is that all of us, all of us are worshipers. We're always, we're, if you use this term worship, it's bowing before, submitting before something. All of us are submitting to something. And what happens when you take sort of the, te- the secular worldview and, and you, get out all, you get all gods out of the mix, you end up bowing to the self. 
But you're still bowing. You're, you're bowing to the desires of the self. All of us end up being worshipers. It's an unavoidable aspect of what it means to be a human being. I'm rereading this book called um, Essentialism. It's not a Christian book, but it's an interesting book. Um, George McEwen is the author. Um, and uh, he basically is saying, look, we live in a time where the forces acting upon us and essentially inviting us to submit, to give our lives over to them, are unlike, it's like unlike any other time in the history of the world. Um, he says, today technology has lowered the barrier for others to share their opinion about what we should be focusing on. It's not just information overload, it's opinion overload. And in one of his points is that in the midst of that overload, we often, without thinking carefully, will submit ourselves to the designs or the desires of, of somebody else or of a different worldview that we didn't consciously embrace or accept. And so this dynamic of submission, of bowing, is happening all around us all the time. Um, and, and, and since that's the case, what we really would want to do as human beings is to choose wisely, right? Where are we going to submit? What, what are we going to bow before in this life? Are we going to let ourselves just be tossed to and fro and, 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 and whatever somebody wants us to submit ourselves to? Or are we going to choose thoughtfully, uh, carefully about where we submit, how we bow, how we bow, what we bow before. Um, to have a sense of honesty about that. Um, I've been reading the magazine uh, The Economist for a, a number of years. Probably for 30 years I realized I've been reading this magazine since I was 20, uh, about 20 years old. And uh, I know I could read 30 years ago. That's uh, surprising to me. Um, and and um, one of the things that drew me to this magazine, and I'm not trying to say this is great. There's a lot of things I disagree with, you know, what they say, whatever. But one of the things I really love, I was drawn to it at that age, is it's a news magazine that says, look, we're not even going to try to be unbiased. We're going to tell you up front, this is our belief system. This is the framework out of which we are writing. And then when you read, you know we're coming from that framework. Right? Compare that to, you know, I was comparing it at the time to other news organizations where I felt like they, they were trying to be, you know, only the truth, uh, but, not, but, but not acknowledging the biases that were, that were there. Now, of course, that's exploded in the last while, the last era, you know. Um, and, and so, you know, there's all kinds of, there's something about being honest about where you're coming from. That's the point I want to get to. But rather than trying to hide, and I think a lot of times with, with uh, our worship, our inner worship life, we're not really aware of the biases and, and, and the things that are going on there. And so we're, we're very susceptible because it's not out in the open. And what Jesus does, when you come to Jesus, is it's kind of like, you know, this, this, this moment where you just say, okay, now I'm going to submit to Jesus. Jesus is going to be number one in my life and everything else is going to take shape. And there's something very outward about doing that. There's something very public about doing that. There's something very freeing about doing that. Because now you know, now you know what you're worshiping when you come to Jesus. You know who you're worshiping. And it's all out there. It's, it's all clear. Um, the image that comes to my mind as I've been thinking about this is, you know, most of you played pinball or you've seen pinball machine. 
and think of yourself like that little metal ball in the pinball machine and you're just bouncing off of the various bumpers, right? And every time, you know, uh, somebody says something or you get on social media or you hear somebody who sounds convincing or whatever it is, you talk to somebody who um, is, is important to you and what they value is important to you um, and you just feel like you're bouncing off of one perspective to the other. And what if, you know, there could be some powerful mag. You, you know, in the pinball game, you want to try to get to the top or get the the, the the whatever it is at the top. There's different ways that they they do this, but you want to get the points at the top. You want to win, get to the top. What if what if there was this powerful magnet that could help you navigate through all of those bumpers and bring you to where you need to go? And Jesus functions like that in life. And worshiping Jesus is the act of reminding yourself that that's the role he has in your life. That's why worship is so important. That's why we do it on a weekly basis and we encourage from that weekly basis that it be done daily. That worship be a practice that calls us back to center. Calls us back to who we are. We need worship. We need the practices of worship. Now, remember uh, that, that when we talk about worship, we're not, in, in the Christian conception, we're not talking about worshiping an idea or a truth. We're talking about worshiping a person. Truth is a person, ultimately, not merely an idea. And, and so our faith is fundamentally relational, and, and that sort of leads to the second key con- conception. The first one is, is bow, bow before Jesus, and worship is in Christ's presence. So the connection between presence and worship is all over this text. Even before, if you were to go back a few verses and what we were looking at, before even this moment, the women went to the tomb and they found it empty. Um, by the way, we always celebrate that with Christianity, the women are the first witnesses to the resurrection. And that is a huge statement about the value and the importance of women. And the testimony, which testimony of women wouldn't have been allowed in a court in that day. But here in Christianity, you know, they are the first to testify of the risen Lord of Jesus Christ. But, so the women go to the tomb and they find it empty and on the way they go back to tell the disciples and Jesus met them and, and the moment they saw them, they, they saw him, they bowed in worship and then he says to them, um, you know, go tell the disciples, go to Galilee and there they will see me. So the women worship right when Jesus appears to them and then, um, the, then Jesus says, go tell the disciples to go to Galilee uh, and they will see me. So we're talking about presence here and then the disciples go to Galilee and Jesus came and said to them the things that we heard and then the great commission he says behold I am with you always to the end of the age and you will find this element of the special presence of God at all the important points that usually include worship even if it's not an explicit uh, worship moment. Um, you know, Moses in the burning bush, Isaiah in the temple, holy, holy, holy. Psalm 23, which I've been sort of meditating on recently, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Really important to know what the ve- next ver- part of the verse is. For you are with me. And then if we go all the way to the end of the New Testament, Revelation 21, 3 through 4, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them 
uh, as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And all of that is rooted in God's presence. That's what's the greatest thing about heaven, is that God is there. <laughs> Amen, right? Yes, let's, let's go. The greatest thing about heaven is, is, that, is that God is there. That's, you know, it, it can be beautiful, it can be wonderful, it can be half dome on steroids, whatever. But what the best thing is, is that God is present. God is present. You get to be in the presence of God. Presence is core because our faith is relational. Because God is relational. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together in relationship having invited us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ which makes possible for sinners to be in the presence of a holy God makes possible for us to be in the presence of perfect relationship Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We get invited into that. That's the awesome truth of the gospel. And it's core to what worship is about. Worship, worship unfolds in Christ's presence. And we see that over and over again. So, it's, so worship of Jesus is crucial because you and I need this constant help putting everything else in our lives in its proper perspective. You, that's what worship does. It puts everything else in our lives in its proper perspective. It reorders, it prioritizes. One of the things that, um, I mean, this is too much information. Um, so worship does it, it prioritizes, um, it prioritizes who we are, um, what, what's important to us. And worship is connected to presence. So, so worship is essential because it prioritizes our lives. It's connected to the presence of Jesus Christ. Um, but here's the question. Didn't we just read the text about how Jesus went up into heaven? So how do we practice worship in Christ's presence when... The ascension has taken place and he hasn't returned yet. Isn't that sort of the fundamental problem that we have so often in life? I want to worship. I need to worship. I know I need to worship. I, but, you know, being in the presence of Jesus is what induces worship. Now, how, how do I live now worshiping all the while until Jesus comes back? How do I cross that, that gap? I know that's been my struggle in life time and time again. And there, the, the, the beautiful thing is that the New Testament gives us so many ways. And so let me just rifle through. And I want you as, you, as we go through these, to think about which is the one that you most need to remember today. We, our, our journey of faith is this ongoing uh, growth process where certain things were really important to us in one moment. And then in another moment, this other thing becomes really important important that we hadn't really realized how significant it is. And so you're in that process. You're learning about worship. You know, worship is making sense more and more. It's never going to make, there's always going to be some mystery to it. That's okay. Which of these do you need to hone in on as you think about worshiping in Christ's presence and making that a fundamental part of who you are? So that everything else in your life, all the forces that are pressing in upon you, wanting to take a bite out of you and call you in one direction or the other, all those can take shape in relation to this one priority, which is Jesus Christ.
so I've got four of these. And this is going to be quick because we've got some time for prayer. We're going to share communion and then we're going to pray a little bit. It's going to be great. Um, so these four. The first one, we've already been looking at this one in First Peter. Because do you remember what First Peter says? Is that, that there is this now temple. There's the old temple but there's a new temple. The new temple is the, the body of Christ. The believers who are gathered together. And each one is like a living stone. So rather than dead stones in a temple. We have living stones that make the new temple. And, and, and this is where, where God lives. He lives in, in, in the temple. And the new temple is the body of Christ, the church. So when you get together with the church, when you gather with the church to worship, you are doing it in Christ's presence. And that's what you desperately need. And what I desperately need. And we're, we're having to accommodate right now because we just have to. So we're doing it online. But ultimately we want to be together. Worshipping together because that's God's design for us. And so how's your worship? Are you going to the temple? Not the physical building but the, the, the community, the body of Christ, the people of God. Are you spending time in the temple? Right? With the Lord critical question. You know, sometimes you come to church and you walk away and you go, you know, pastor didn't really say anything this week that really excited me, you know. Um, I could have been watching this thing on Netflix. I could have been going over here to see this, you know. Music didn't really hit me. Um, you know, people didn't really speak. Here's my point. This is a discipline that we do and that God uses even when we don't realize it. Just because you don't walk away saying, you know, ah, oh, this is the nugget that I took away this week, doesn't mean that God wasn't at work in your life. And so you do this out of a, a sort of a sense of faith that God will move even sometimes in ways that you don't recognize. So if you, if you hang your participation in the church community on whether or not it was awesome that time, right? You're, you're making yourself susceptible to losing that practice of focusing, getting your life focused around Christ. But if you understand that this is a calling that you do because somehow, someway God's going to use it to reorder everything in your life, even if you don't see how he's, that's happening, then you'll be consistent in worship, right? It's a fundamental shift. What, it's interesting that for the most part, people who've been walking with Jesus the longest tend to be more consistent in worship many times. I don't know if that's entirely true, but I see that many times. And yet you would think they wouldn't need to be, Right? Because the answer is because the deeper you walk with Jesus, the more you need, you, you realize you need that refocusing in your life. Um, okay, so the, the now temple, I'll go quickly through these. So the Holy Spirit, did you know that in two places in the Bible, um, it refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ. I love that. I've been thinking about that all week. The Spirit of Christ. Romans 8, 9 and 1 Peter 1, 11, which we just finished studying. 
you know, John, in, in the Gospel of John, um, the Spirit is blown out. Jesus blows the Spirit out onto the disciples. So I'm, I'm, I'm showing you the connection between the Holy Spirit and Christ. Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit moves in your life, this is the point. When the Holy Spirit moves in your life, that's not some, you know, impersonal force at work in the world. This is not like Star Wars, the force. Okay? This is Jesus Christ. The person, Jesus Christ, moving in your, in your life. So don't, don't miss that really fundamental point. That when the Holy Spirit moves in any small, subtle ways in your life, don't think of that as an impersonal force. That's the, that's the personal presence of Jesus Christ in your life. And it's good. You're, you're in the presence when you, when you know the Holy Spirit, when you experience the Holy Spirit. Okay, um, the Word of God, the Bible. The Word of God. Christ is with us um, He's the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And through the word of God, um, you know, everything was made in the beginning. And so when you open your Bibles, you're tapping into the presence of the Lord. Um, I heard someone say this, just a, just a real quick um, practical Bible reading. And I, I've been trying to do this a little bit. I haven't, been, I haven't been great at it. But somebody said, just leave the Bible open on your nightstand. Leave it open on your nightstand because if it's open, you're much more likely to, to read it. And then as you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you read until you get, a, get something that you can take with you in the day. And then you leave it open. And when you go to bed at night, before you go to sleep, you pick it up. It's already open. You don't have to, you know, fuss with where it is. You pick it up and you read until you get something that you can take with you to sleep. Easy way to get the word of God into your life in the morning and the evening. Um, it's, it's no, you know, it's no accident that this is called the word of God and that Jesus is the word of God, the living word of God, right? So if you're thinking about the presence of God, you need the word, you need the word in your life. And then lastly, just um, by faith. And I've been coming back to this phrase ever since we looked at it in 1 Peter. We spent some time on this. You can go back and listen to that one. But the eyes of faith, this is the statement that I keep rolling around in my head uh, of late. The eyes of faith see further than our physical eyes. The eyes of faith see further than our physical eyes. And seeing with faith is like seeing through a telescope. It enables us to see what we can't see with the naked eye. Uh, and this is so crucial um, to our journey with Jesus to be able to see that even though in this fallen, broken, crisis-ridden world, you know, things look like they're going one way to the physical eye. With the eyes of faith, we can see through it to the presence of Christ over it all and around it all. And that guides us and, and helps us in our worship. So we, got, we have to bring faith to the table um, in this process. And let me just end with this, this idea. This is just a little call for you um, to step into a life of deeper and deeper worship. You know, there were those disciples who doubted. They hesitated, it said, when Jesus came. And I don't, I don't, I like the word hesitate because we don't know what happened in the next. They might have started, it might have just taken them a little while to kind of figure it all out. When Jesus came, the risen Jesus, and they weren't sure. Um, 
And so maybe some of them moved through that to, to worship. And it's just a call on you in this season when the pandemic continues to weigh on you and all the other things. This is a call on you to, to move out of hesitancy and into bold worship. We talked about this last week that so oftentimes, you know, when you worship, you crowd out all of the things that the enemy wants to deposit into your mind that will distract you and, and move you aside. Worship is a powerful tool in our walk with Jesus. And so I want to call you out of hesitancy and into boldness when it comes to worship. And I'm going to end with that. I think Paul's going to lead us in. Pastor Paul's going to lead us in communion. So come on up. And God, would you just call us forth into boldness in our worship, whether it be in our home groups, in our individual lives, uh, in our corporate life together. As we move to two services in a few weeks, we're going to have more opportunity for people to be present, um, to worship. And we want to be a people who fundamentally recognize their identity as worshipers and who fundamentally settle to make you, Jesus Christ, the object of our worship. We pray in your name. Amen.